This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm in Sawyer's Bay in Dunedin, and I am joined by Joe Woolley. Where are you, Joe? I'm in Burke's Bay, Dunedin, which is just along from Sawyer's Bay. Welcome. How was your bubble life? Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was very, very interesting. Um, I feel fortunate to have... Um, a sunroom here where I've set up as uh, an art studio and a place I can practice yoga. Um, so that's my, this feels like I've got a, um, um, a bubble here at home um, with the garden and the harbour around. Um, it brought me much closer to family in Wales. So we would Skype um, once or twice a week. In fact, we've kept that up, um, which is wonderful. Uh, Mum is uh, turning 80 this year and um, we speak twice a week and I Skype with my brother's family in Abergavenny. So um, I guess that's one positive thing from COVID-19 is it has brought me much closer to me. And I was also very fortunate um, that I was able to work from home. So um, four days on, four days off is my schedule and um, that that was good too. So I could, it, it gave me a, a structure really to, um, know that I, I still had work and I had my four days to pick up my paintbrushes and practice more yoga. <laughs> <laughs> go, for, go for some walks. Um, uh, there's some lovely walks along the harbour here. So again, very fortunate. I really uh, felt for those that lived in a city um, apartment blocks and didn't have that nature to um, nurture their soul, really. Yeah. So um, seeing how much the rest of the world is, has been struggling um this uh, situation yeah i just feel fortunate here in new zealand i've been living in new zealand since 2000 it was like an system here compared to what's going on in the exactly i think we're very lucky on the west harbour that that local involves being able to walk around that's exactly right yeah um in fact one day i did walk along to sawyer's bay up through uh, graham's bush which leads up to mount cargill and um, back down. That was quite a big mission. It took um, <laughs> <laughs> about half a day, but uh, just just very lucky to, to be able to do that and enjoy uh, the native bush, which uh, inspires my art. Yep. <laughs> so I want to talk about your art, but first, what what work are you doing? Uh, I work as a customer operations manager at Olverston Historic Home in Dunedin. Ooh. So I've actually been there 15 years, and um, that was following uh, the completion of my Master of Fine Arts at the art school here in Cool. So for those people that don't know Olverston, what is Olverston? Well, Olverston is a stately home. It's um, historic. Um, it's full of artworks, um, collections left to the city by the family that lived there from 1906 to 1966. And um, a very generous family, um, the Flemings. And um, I think what interested me, it's a major tourism attraction. So um, when visitors come to Dunedin, they often go to either Larnock Castle or Olverston, uh, both very different um, attractions. And um, everything at Olverston is unique and original. That's what makes Olverston so unique, is the original collection. And um, I think what drew me initially after finishing my master's was um, art collection in the house and uh, that connection with travel with tourists from all over the world uh, on guided tours through the house. So I began guiding that uh, transition later on into the role where I am now. Is it an 
art collection of significance or of you know interest what's the what's the value in it not the not the dollar value but the what's the interest value uh i think it's it's very interesting it shows um the the kind of art that the family were collecting um at that time they tended to collect it shows the network of um the theoman's connections with artists of the time we've got three Francis Hodgkin's works, uh, William Hodgkin's, uh, we have Goldie in the collection, and quite a, a number of Royal Academy artworks from England. So David Thierman um, came out from Bristol, England, has a, a British heritage, and uh, he emigrated to Melbourne, worked in business, met Marie Michaelis there. And the Michaelis family had business connections in Dunedin um, before they came out here. And they built a thriving uh, business in Pornos. And um, David Thierman was president of the Art Gallery, and uh, later on his daughter Dorothy Thierman became the first woman president of Public Art Gallery. And they, they pay, played a major role within the arts. Who would have thought that importing pianos was the way to riches? Well, yes. Um, I think over, well, about 5,700 pianos in about nine um, from memory, so before the likes of self <laughs> Uh, that kind of thing. Um, lots of lots of families have pianos. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have DJ Tiesto's version of Delirium Silence. Why this one? Um, it's just it's something I perhaps rediscovered recently. It's um, I I, I first heard some music um, by Gate Crusher Karma uh, Search for Sunrise. They were kind of thirty minute tracks or one hour tracks, which I really liked. And it was new. It was it's not 80s or 90s, um, as far as I know. Um, so for me, it was like a new discovery. And recently, I just quite like this song. Um, it's very upbeat, energised, and uh, it talks. I think it's about beauty in the world, and um, also the angst. Um, yeah, I think it's got a bit of both going on. And um, yeah, see what you think.
Now we're on the radio, so the listeners are missing out on the um, art tour that I'm getting. What am I looking at? Uh, oh, well, here we are. Um, I've got some practice of some gum tree leaves and some gum nuts. And um, it's um, a piece of homework that the uh, tutor of the botanical arts and illustration course at Olverston has set for us students. I'm part of um, an advanced group. We're working towards an exhibition at Olverston. And um, last year I had um, a work, uh, an akiaki, um, a native plant of New Zealand. Uh, I made a gift. So that was a very red um a red, yellow, oranges, crimson um, work, and the leaves are a little more crinkly than these gum tree leaves. I'm actually working towards um, making a green akiaki work, but I thought these gum tree leaves would be really good practice to attempt to make a flat leaf. The gum trees are bit, but also the edges have the tinges of crimson, all kinds of colours going on. There's some Prussian blue in the cadmium yellow and um, in the branches um, I've got my paint tubes over here I've got some winter pride and rose um, I inherited the the paints from my dad after he he passed away about two and a half years ago and um, which was very sad and actually part of what I did at lockdown was to go through all the paint tubes um, so I had the time inside something like that and I made a, a swatch of the colors of about 50 paint tube and um, my dad took up water with his retirement and uh, I've gotten into it more and more over the years yeah um, so I'm still experimenting still learning I did the 10-week um, course that we offer at Alverston of botanical art illustration which is a Sunday afternoon it's very popular and there's a group of us that got together afterwards just setting ourselves goals we meet once a month and it uh, inspires us to to get the work as, as you know very many distractions in life <laughs> have you always been an artist um i yes i have I've, I've loved art all the way through from being at school um i used to get good marks for my, my homework my drawings um i never really dabbled with painting but um I then I, I wasn't really exposed much to fine art through um, family, but um, I didn't really know what fine art was. So I decided to go into graphic design career and worked in Covent Garden for three years as a graphic designer and decided to emigrate to Sydney um, in about 1998. And so I followed I followed uh, that path and then I did work in design for a bit. I travelled quite some time. And uh, then I ended up in New Zealand and travelled around. Um, actually, I based myself in Wanaka. What a job to, yeah, just survive, really. And I, I took up, by accident, I took up sculpture. I actually, as I was travelling, um, carved some stone in uh, Omaru with the stonemason there. Um, and I'd met a girlfriend travelling who was a sculptor for me. And we said, let's meet in Omaru. We stayed in the backpackers, um, packed our lunch away, went off to the red sheds in Omaru. This is, about... and uh, after a week, we both had a, a work, a, a stone sculpture. And um, I left it there at the red sheds. Went on, got the job in Monica. And later on, the stonemason said, your piece just sold to the council. Uh, they just came in to the red sheds and wanted your piece to gift. So it was the Honorary Licensing Trust, gifted on Ashburton Trust. They put a, a brass plaque on it, and it's, it's in the Racecourse Hotel. And I thought, well, I really enjoy this, what, what I'm doing. And it was inspired by native plants. And so um, I thought, I want to make more. So I made a piece for my brother's wedding. They came out from the UK, got married in Australia. And I started to make more and more and decided to go for, uh, into, into fine art, which um, from a graphic design background, that's where I really needed so other than practicing drawing gum leaves or painting gum leaves what's the what's your focus uh for art or uh, oh, for art yeah for art um well i'm i'm really enjoying the challenge of learning watercolors and recently um in the last six months i've really enjoyed um looking at the composition on a page of the that the um the forms make and 
it could be inspired by working at Olverston with the, the beautiful, um, in the Great Hall at Olverston, there's a woven Hessian wall covering, which is a repeat pattern, a little bit like William Morris. And so um, I don't want to make my work like a repeat pattern, but I can see um, s some potential there in making larger works uh, with, with something pleasing to them. Um, yeah, I'm not sure yet, but we... <laughs> Is there a particular uh, theme? You've got eucalyptus there. Particular. I'm a botanist. Is there a, a particular plants that Are you're you interested in? Uh, did you say you're a botanist? My first degree was botany and geography. Oh, right. Uh, well, I tell you what, I have. Well, my, my main focus is native plants. And um, initially, with my sculpture, I wanted to convey this beauty in the world um, by having these simple objects. Uh, at some of the size that was perhaps on a coffee table, then like very simple, um, and having that pristine, you know, uh, native bush in New Zealand is pretty unique um, compared to parts of the rest of the world. And I guess uh, I want to cover, look, look at many native plants and leave and develop develop that way. Although um, recently taking up open water swimming and being in the harbour. Um, a couple of months ago, it was getting to low tide and the tumbleweeds of seaweed coming towards <laughs> us as the tide was coming in. And um, it was really interesting. And um, so I do have a fascinating fascination with the water plants now. Um, and then recently doing the Wakatipu, um Challenge, that swim race was um, a, a really cool event, very well organized, and I really enjoyed it. And just, just going into uh, having a dip in, uh, seeing the, under, the clarity of the quite amazing and be able to see some of them there. Um, that, that is an area I'm interested in. Did you go to the Hocken exhibition, the Garden of Earthly Delights, last year? No, I missed, unfortunately I missed it. Oh, um, I, yeah, I'd like to go. I did, and what I really liked was the, oh, I've forgotten the, the thing, the, the, teaching, the teaching resources, the big physical, let's call them sculptures. And I've forgotten, yeah, yeah. forgotten the German family that they came from in the stretching back to like the 1880s. Um, and there's the university still got like 60 of or 40 something of them, which when oh. I went when, when I was studying, I don't know if they still are. They were like in the in the botany lab. They were what we were used. They were what we used for teaching. Oh, right. And they're, oh. they're fantastic things. And I um, I was before COVID got in the way organizing an art exhibition in Bristol um in association with a conference that I'm involved in and the I wanted to take a piece of work there which looked at the looked at those those um those sculptures or those 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 resources um and in a way of why we looked after these things we've looked after these things for 120 years and yeah they they're not recognized as as artworks as such they they just made out of paper mache and bits of string and whatever they had to hand to make these the in, yeah. internals of a plant or internals of a flower or something. Oh, but wow. the, the, these we've looked after these things so well for all this time. So yeah. So my question, because it was a sustainability uh, conference, my question was was trying to say, what would it take to create models of sustainability that we would revere in such a way? Um, so maybe I'll get back to that because I've just convinced myself it's a good idea I should do it. <laughs> what to make more of these sorts of things? To what what if we've we've got lots and lots of models of what sustainability looks like? Right. Um, I've got a I've got a web page that's got um, that's got I think it's six hundred. I should know because I made it uh, about six hundred different diagrams that represent sustainability. But if you ask okay. if you ask somebody to draw an, a picture of sustainability, they'll go back to drawing the the three circle Venn diagram. So why why are we not celebrating what that might be and using it in a in a similar sort of way, in a, in an artistic kind of way to mm. to think about what it might look like? So my plan was was to represent about five of the different models of sustainability as physical models as a, like a sculpture yeah um yeah. and because i didn't want it to be entirely derivative um 
getting family members because then it then it was sort of an involved thing to make them Phoebe's actually started making hers out of felt and one of the diagrams of sustainability out of felt um Oliver's going to make it make his his one out of bits of old kayak fantastic oh cool yeah Um, that sounds good I look forward to seeing some uh some of those yeah so do I (laughs) (laughs) Do you think put... you'll still get to go over to have a show? I think or so. The conference? I think yeah. so. It it came about because the uh, we were in Finland and they were giving a a talk about the you know the, the sort of the, the end of the conference. They give a talk about you know please come to the conference next year, and it was in it was in Bristol, and they were making a big fuss about how on the last day of the conference they were going to have an artist come in and you know show them how show show how art might be useful in um, in thinking about sustainability, sustainability in computing. And I know that about at least 10, maybe 20 people in the audience would describe themselves as artists before they would describe themselves as computer scientists. So I thought, yeah. why, why are we getting in external artists to show us how to do art when we've got those people here? So True. I... Not not right at the time, but I mistakenly said that out loud that we should have an art exhibition of the people who come to the conference anyway, and then invite yeah. the Bristol Bristolian artists to 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 help and be involved. And it, That's it's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, it mushroomed from that. But the um, the conference itself went ahead in a truncated form um, online, and the art exhibition was one of the things that got dropped. Um, but but we'll find a way of making it happen. Um, it's, it, I mean, we could do it remotely, but the whole point of it was to bring people together properly. So yeah. Um, may, yeah. maybe when the conference actually reinvents itself post-COVID, that will be a, a thing for us to do. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mehe aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, your beloved universes, and I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better thank you now i know that for all of us we've been through a time of great change a time of great transformation many shifts and changes many ups and downs over the last more than a year i'm so grateful for these five minutes with you thank you to sam and the whole blown bubbles team for having me thank you to all of you very grateful for this time together and at the moment we're heading into a time of lunar eclipse which is very exciting and i particularly love as we all know the living world and whenever there are these moments in time where our connection to the living world really strongly shines forth like a time of lunar eclipse it serves to remind us of that long connection that we have had that all life has had and for all of us, all our ancestors, have had times where they've encountered the same phenomenon. The lunar eclipse that we're heading towards is also with a full moon, so it's particularly special, and I'm sure it will be very beautiful. And I remember as a young person seeing a solar eclipse, and my mother and I were in Dover, in the White Cliffs of Dover, and the solar eclipse happened, and it was amazing. And of course, a lunar eclipse is somewhat different, but still that same sense of our home, our beautiful planet, our life, all these things put into perspective in such a helpful way. Another wonderful thing, of course, about eclipses and the notion of eclipsement is the power of obscuring hiding darkness something being lost from our view only to reappear and the 
real sense of awe that that inspires. And of course, we can really enjoy with our consciousness conceptualizing things in lots of different ways. But I know for all of us over the last more than a year, so much has been obscured, so much has been in a state of darkness, so much has been lost from our vision only to reappear. And I think we've all felt a sense of deep gratitude that that has been the case. And of course, there's still so much always that we are bringing into the light that we're learning more and more about as time goes on. And I love it. I love that process of rediscovery, something that we may not have consciously been aware of previously. Suddenly we are consciously remembering and aware of again. So I really hope that for you, in this time of lunar eclipse, you're really enjoying that sense of connection to the living world, to those around you that you love, to yourself, and really enjoying that sense of awe and wonder and the power of something being momentarily eclipsed and then coming back to the light. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Joe Woolley. Joe, how's Olverston going? I presume the, the visitor numbers went down a lot? Um, initially, yeah, we reopened um, end of May 2020. Um, so we have been open now for over a year. Um, we, it's going, it actually is going very well with New Zealanders. Uh, we have many, many New Zealanders visiting Olverston who perhaps wouldn't have thought about it previously. Um, as they would have probably headed overseas on. Um, and um, we have a lot of new events um, that have come out of it. So Olverston, um, with the collections all being original and, and many of the pieces, uh, the wall coverings, the fabrics and furnishing, ceramic, all these pieces are still in place in the house. And um, it, it's always been very carefully managed. Um, but since uh, reopening after COVID, we need new ideas to bring the locals uh, into the house more, um, to give opportunity um, for Olverston to survive, really, um, when we didn't have the cruise ship market coming back um, for this season, uh, So, which is a big segment of Olverston. So um, run, having, having events, um, we kind of brainstormed some ideas over lockdown, over Zoom, and um, came up with um, speciality tours running those more often. Um, but I think the main thing is um, our new manager, Jan Davies, has um, uh, designed some events using the inside of Olverston, which we never used to do before. So uh, very carefully um, using the Great Hall now for high teas. And um, these have been very popular. They've been running for the last year, every first Sunday of the month. And every single one has been a sellout. Um, visitors have been arriving coming through the vestibule the main front door um, where visitors would have arrived in Emmons Day and um, just uh, being able to enjoy the interior um, of Olverston uh, while they're having high tea and then heading off for a house for a guy so that's the first Sunday and A Night to Die For um, was an event put together Um, we ran two nights in December last year, um, and it's almost we're running another event 18th of June. That's almost is just there might be tickets left at this stage. <laughs> they may have sold by now, but um, you know that's that's quite a major evening event where there's a smuggler's board of nibbles and it's a murder mystery night, a little bit like Agatha Christie, oh, where cool. you yeah, I think there's about 70 um, participants. If you pick it have a glass of wine and try and solve a murder mystery. It's a murder mystery night. And um, also weddings. So we can now have weddings inside the house. You know, we're very careful management of the conservation side, very careful, and the security side um, of looking as long as that main is maintained. Um, actually thriving in those, yeah. And did I see that you were a film set? And we did, yeah, the, uh, we did. There was a film crew that, um, and they wanted to use the whole house. It's quite a major, major setup actually. Uh, they were here for about a week. Um, that was uh, that was another uh, 
way of um, helping to support Alveston keep the doors open. It was um, very exciting. Cool. Again, pilgrimage, uh, you know, the actors and um, the venue. Did they get a, a briefing on what the art was? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the film industry, um, they, they need to have certain things signed off. They, they did need to know and insure for insurance. Oh, cool. I, I'd imagine that was what it was for. <laughs> yeah, but no, they, they had a really good idea. Cool. And art classes? Art classes, yeah. So we run the um, life drawing classes um, every Wednesday evening. So they're 10 week courses, um, actually 12 week courses, 6 to 8.30. So um, I assist the, the tutor uh, with the art classes, help to call the lifelong learning. Um, we're very lucky to have Wayne Everson, the Millennium, work for the city of Dunedin. So um, he is a great artist and right, and uh, has so much knowledge to impart to the students. And we often have returning students wanting to courses again, or often Wayne does so much research for all the classes um, that he mixes it up and changes uh, the courses to keep us all inspired. So, I mean, I, we've been running these classes uh, since, uh, well, for the last five years. Um, the botanical art and illustration course is extremely popular. That's that's something I very much enjoy being. So you're yeah. you're advanced in doing that. Is is that something that what what level of skill do people need to have to 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 do that one? Um, so complete beginners, complete beginners can come along, and um, Wayne teaches the basics of drawing. Um, and in a classical way. So he teaches right from word go, um, picking up a contact stick uh, for the life drawer, standing at an easel, and um, learning to how to hold the contact stick, uh, how to best um, draw uh, an object, um, looking at the marks you're making on the page, and uh, learning how to represent something three-dimensional, uh, was of course a, a real challenge if you've never it's something very new um, but he progressively teaches a 12-week course um, starting from perhaps drawing some and then moving into the figure um, and life drawing drawing the human form is said to be the most difficult to draw so really really good practice. if you want to be drawing my passion is for plants native healand, um, but the life drawing skills to help to get the eye hand to eye form and um, Wayne teaches a, a, a component of the course's anatomy, so he models from the museum um, the, um, to show the muscle, the, the bones of the skeleton and how the muscles fit. Um, so when you're looking at the live model, you have an idea of how the, the bones and the muscles sit under the skin. And uh, yes, yeah, very interesting. It keeps, keeps us all inspired. However many times I've joined the class, I'm, I'm still inspired. <laughs> <laughs> he has a great way of teaching. <laughs> Let's take you two with or without you. Why this one? Uh, who knows? You know, some songs just hit the button for you, <laughs> and um, one doesn't always know. But I just love this one.
Joe, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last year. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, I think during lockdown, um, for, it would have brought, I hope, families closer. Um, people were getting out there, perhaps walking more, thinking about um, their health, um, and um, perhaps looking at what they really enjoy doing or um, what they really want out of life. <laughs> Appreciating our freedom, really, once. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger questions, things like climate change and biodiversity? Well, um, the human impact uh, footprint. Um, and I, th- I would hope that, um, you know, using resources um, in a sustainable way um, to help things last longer, um, being respectful of the environment we live in, um, we just hope that uh, people are becoming more of their impact. Does art have a role in helping us explore the sorts of challenges that we face? I'm thinking not just the pandemic, but things like climate change. Um, yeah, I think it does. Um, I was looking at what really inspired my work, uh, why I got into sculpture, um, how I got into fine art, which I didn't really know much about, although I was always appreciated um, art. Um, you know, the sculptures by Michelangelo or kind of thing. Um, and I realised perhaps it was New Zealand and the experience tramping. Um, my first sculpture was inspired by the Abel Tasman, um, having um, just been blown away by the beauty of the place. And um, when I came to do a Master of Fine Arts, I really questioned what, what would my project be. And I thought, well, the mountains really inspire me, being able to go tramping. Um, and realise that, you know, where your fresh water comes from and um, these unpolluted waterways right in the heart of the mm. Southern Alps and just taking the rations that need um, to exist on, really. Um, and so I thought, well, the mountains really inspire me, so I'll go to the heart of the mountains, the Dart Glacier was a part of... Glaciers, you know, helped to form the shapes through the mountains. And um, I had spent a lot of time forms and shapes. And while I was up there, I did it. I planned a field trip at the beginning of my master's project and went on a tramping trip and up around the Cascade Saddle area. I spoke to the Department of Conservation. They recommended the Dark Glacier was the, one of the easier ones to get close to. And while I was up there, I found remnants of a scientific research hut that was destroyed in an avalanche um, by scientists that were studying the glacier. And so my whole project focus changed from making objects to wanting to communicate, um, okay, what's happening to the glacier, um, just, you know, nationally, but um, all over the world. And at that time, the news was flooded with articles about global warming. And so um, I went down and I noticed there were painted lines on the rocks, on the schist, um, steep schist rock, where the scientists have gone back each year I think from about the 1970s 1990s and they painted you could see they painted the dates and I, I found the area where you could see how much the glacier had receded right up the valley and um, you know that that hit home to me how quickly it had done that in human time because geological time you know it's, it's happened very fast we can witness something like you know it's taken Hundreds of years, uh, thousands of years um, to form to form that the southern the southern Alps to help shape it. So um, anyway, my my next couple of years was focused on how do I communicate this uh, the effects of global warming, whether it's human induced or the planet naturally heating up. And uh, so I, I ended up with um, looking at um, the um, polar caps melting. And I, I had a show, an exhibition that travelled to public art galleries. Uh, the installation, it was an installation art, so people walked into the gallery space. The projection of melting ice, um, glaciers carving off an ice shelf in the Antarctic, um, images of um, the dark glacier receding over time. And um, I built, uh, reconstructed a scientific research hut, or, or a hut, which was uh, a take on that, really, and pasted the interior of the hut with stories of 
global warming, so wallpaper the interior uh, plywood. And so usually a hut in uh, the mountains is a refuge and a place to, to be safe away from the elements. Um, I had sound the exhibition space as well, and the sound built up to a crescendo. It was all crashing ice and avalanche. And to get away from that sound and the effects of global warming, perhaps you go into the hut, but then there's no escape. You can't escape that, what's happening um, to the planet by um, being confronted with all the... Um, but it has it's quietened, quietened down. You don't really read it these days. Uh, you don't see a lot of headlines. Global warming, it's, but not like that time I was, I was making. But um, I think now my what I would like to communicate is the beauty of nature of the bush and how lucky we are to enjoy it um, while the impact of... Um, um, <laughs> yeah. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to do them so we shall have to rattle through them what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years um i think building up my yoga classes teach yoga at alverston five classes a week and i've got a, a base of fifth class students and i really enjoy teaching yoga uh, i've been practicing since about 1998 and um i have a, a there's a, a really wonderful um lovely collection of ladies that come along to my classes uh, uh, I've, uh, a designer has just put together a flyer for me um so i'm very proud of this <laughs> and we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you're on the team what's the superpower that's got you into the mansion that's the superhero mansion not the olverston mansion passion <laughs> passion for what Passion for life when um, you're doing what you enjoy doing and perhaps being able to benefit others at the same cool. time. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, not an activist, but um, I like to introduce something to people and make, let them make up their own difference um, but it, um, that can be so positive and uplifting and scientific proven to be good then um, that's the closest I might get to house. <laughs> <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, I guess I, I'm enjoying um, what I'm involved with um, and continuing to develop and get better at what you do. Um, with art and with yoga, I would say um, wanting to improve. There's um, so much time you can spend on um, both subjects learning about uh, all the aspects of yoga but also practicing art you can spend um, you know infinite amount of hours in subjects uh, also with swimming <laughs> I've got back in swim training and open water swimming um, I uh, was swung competitively for six years and uh, getting back into that again that's another area you can always improve on and that's what gets you up in the morning, the alarm to go swimming at stupid times. I know. I've gotten back into my body has remembered those um, that routine of um, being up, swimming swimming in a lane with others. They're a really great bunch of people. I'm the master's uh, swimmers at Moana Pool. And I know there are different schedules and uh, times um, of, of uh, swim training sessions, but I just happened to hook into the 5.30, which... Um, they're always there. There's one of the chaps writes a, has written a schedule for many. So I've heard, and um, that's that's one group of. Um, so what's I the biggest? <laughs> what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, I think um, developing more art, um, yoga, and uh, I've entered the Ruby Island swim again this year. Um, well, 2022. So I'm training towards. Uh, at the moment, and um, I'd like to enter the win. So I've got the times from this year, first time I've gotten into open water swimming, and with the training I'm going to be doing over winter. Awesome. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I think if you, if, you, if you find something you enjoy doing and you can spend more time and more time doing that, um, mention. <laughs> Good advice for me. Thank you very much for joining me. That's a pleasure. Thank you. That's, yeah. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope the listeners have enjoyed Thank you.
the morning of your eyes comes waking through my shadows leaving just a trace of twilight sleep I whisper to the baby raindrops playing on my window and tell them gently this is not the time that they should weep for somewhere in my mind there is a painting box I have every color there is true just lately when I look inside my painting box I seem to pick the colors of you My Friday evening's footsteps plodding dully through this black town Are far away now from the world that I'm in My eyes are listening to some sounds that I think just might be springtime With daffodils between my toes I'm laughing at their whim And somewhere in my mind there is a painting box I have a red color, there is true Just lately when I look inside my painting box I seem to pick the colors of you Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons at three, and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu Mackenzie. This is the incredible string band. Painting box. I'm Simon in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and from just along the harbour in Berks, I've been joined by Joe Woolley. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. I seem to pick the colors of you This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.